Welcome to Lit, a podcast dedicated to life, liturgy, and the pursuit of holiness. I'm Bryn. And I'm Justin, and we're coming to you from beautiful Austin, Texas. Where each week we're talking about liturgy in everything from daily living to following Christ. Today we are here to talk about the Paschal Triduum. So we're we're entering into Holy Week. By the time you're listening to this, it will be um, Holy Week already. We'll have observed the um, Palm Sunday, Sunday liturgy, um, liturgy of the palms, and uh, we'll be getting ready to look ahead to um, to this time of um, our Monday Thursday service, our Good Friday service, our Holy Saturday service, and then our Easter Vigil service. So um, collectively, these services are called the Paschal Triduum. Um, so Paschal, just referring to Easter and the Triduum, meaning uh, three parts. Um, so what we want to talk about are the different um, parts of this, but we really want to emphasize that um, sometimes we think about these services as being three different services or uh, three services plus the, the Holy Saturday service. Um, uh, but they really are just one continuous service that happens in three parts. And we'll sort of dissect what that means as we, as we jump into um, our fuller discussion of what each of these different parts represents. Um, but want to want to just make it clear that um, that these are uh, that it's really one service, and in fact, the history of of this service um, was you know it, originally that all of this was celebrated at once, um, kind of in one service where we uh, where we celebrated um, or at least observed and then celebrated um, the dying and the resurrection of Jesus all at once. Now we have those, um, you know, in three different services. So Justin, um, what do we want to say about these services? One is that I love Holy Week. Um, and now it might be strange, right? For a priest to say they love Holy Week, they love the Triduum, but well, it's not strange. It's probably not surprising that I said that. That's what I meant to say. Not surprising that I said I love the Triduum and I love the movements of Holy Week. But it is somewhat surprising because as priests and as human beings and as worshipers and as Christians and as people exploring their faith, there may be different points in the year. Some people are really drawn to the incarnation. They're drawn to Christmas. And, um, and they, they you know, lift up Holy Week and Easter as something important uh, and very important to celebrate and to participate in. But in their hearts, they're a little bit drawn more to the incarnation. Well, I'm very much drawn to the incarnation, but Holy Week and Easter just these liturgies are so powerful. Um, so what's happening, right? So when you enter into Holy Week, you enter in on to what we know today as Passion Palm Sunday, but it wasn't always that way. Um, a lot of that tradition started, and I'm not going to quote myself here because I'll, I'll misquote, started some time ago when we uh, essentially realized, I may be so bold, that sometimes worshipers can be, a, a, dare I say, lazy. Uh, and, and time gets away from us. It's harder to come and celebrate all the liturgies of Holy Week, of the Triduum, because of time. So if you came on Palm Sunday, Palm and Passion Sunday, then you heard the Passion, and you heard it all in one sitting. And then if, if you don't pop up in any liturgy, which I hope is not true for you, listener, 
But if you don't pop up, then you pop up at Easter and you pick up right where you left off on Palm Passion Sunday. However, the reason I don't want that to be your story is as you come into Holy Week, you now, as Bryn said, enter into the into the parts of the Passion in a very particular way. So we start with Maundy Thursday. We start by entering into the part of the Passion where Jesus collects the disciples. They're in the upper room. They're gathered around. We call it the institution of the Lord's Supper. There's foot washing involved. There's servant ministry displayed. We come into that time and space. And as we move through that liturgy, as we move through the story itself, the passion narrative, we will end on Monday, Thursday, as Bryn said, not with a dismissal, but in the Garden of Gethsemane. We'll be praying and watching. And a lot of churches uh, participate in that through a sacred watch. So what, what you see happen is you process the... Uh, the consecrated elements out of the main sanctuary where you've stripped the altar. You've, you've gotten everything out as the, as the institution of the Eucharist has come to an end and we've celebrated the Eucharist. We strip the altar and really in preparation for good Friday, imagine Jesus, uh, we're just stripping everything out. And uh, we, we process the elements, the consecrated elements, the bread and the wine to another place. Usually churches called an altar of repose. Uh, in the case of the churches I've served pre-COVID, we create a garden. So mm-hmm. we bring the elements into a, a space where there's a garden. Then we have volunteers sign up for the sacred watch to wait and watch as Jesus invites his disciples to do to pray. Uh, so there's always somebody there every hour um, until the first Good Friday liturgy, which is usually at noon on Good Friday. So that brings us to the second part of the triduum. We enter into Good Friday. This is the part of the passion where uh, it's probably the most, in some ways, I think it's the most familiar part of the passion. It's the one most of us think of. This is where we hear the passion narrative in its entirety with great emphasis on the cross and the death of Jesus. That is where that liturgy is going to end. And Good Friday, in so many ways, draws us into, as I like to say, the darkest parts of our humanity, because as we hear that passion story, we're reminded that we're the people shouting crucify him. We're the people who are sitting there thinking to ourselves that, well, this isn't the God I wanted. I wanted somebody who's going to come do everything I wanted to do and not fully realizing what Jesus is doing, what God's doing in the person of Jesus Christ in a very uh, particular way. So that's modeled uh, as you enter into that liturgy. There's a section known as the solemn colics where we're praying and asking for forgiveness and we're praying for some pretty important stuff that's not the most beautiful things it's not things that always pop up in our daily prayers if we're being honest um sometimes it does for sure but not all the time and we're left looking at the cross that service will come to the end of that service essentially what we what some churches call venerating the cross we're there and jesus has died now you move into Holy Saturday, probably the one service that's um, the one liturgy that's probably least used, if we're being honest, in the church. Mm-hmm. But yet it's a simple, impactful day because we're in the day in between. You know, as modern day Christians, we know the resurrection's coming. I mean, we know Easter Sunday is a certain day every year. We know it's coming. Which still doesn't take away from the fact that we just left Good Friday's liturgy. Uh, with Jesus dead 
and Jesus doesn't rise up on Saturday. So we're left now in, in my in my mind, in my own personal experience, uh, going back to when I could really internalize what was happening uh, during these great liturgies, was left to my own sorrow. I was left there praying for the hope of the resurrection. I was left there with a sealed tomb uh, and no Jesus, no no teacher, no no leader that not there. Uh, Jesus died and has been buried. And that's what Saturday's about. I mean, there's that's that's really the simple yet important aspect of Saturday. And I, I know Brent will have some things to add to that in a minute. And as we move through Saturday, we end up in what's the first, and in my opinion, the most important Easter service in the entire Christian church. And in particular to our tradition in the prayer book, which is the Easter vigil. You start in the darkness, you light the Easter fire. So there's light breaking forth. You spend a great deal of time learning about your salvation history, walking through readings of the Old Testament. Uh, you, um, well, you would have heard a great uh, ancient hymn known as the Exultet that says some mm -hmm. really powerful things. And I'll reference that page number in the show notes in the prayer book. It's a great, 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 uh, great Easter hymn. But all that to say is you move out of the darkness, you're reminded that even in our worst spots, God has been right there trying to shepherd us, lead us, calling us. And it culminates in, in, uh, in the reality that Jesus is alive, that the tomb is empty, that salvation is at hand, that uh, hope, is, hope is there, the Easter hope is there. And we're reminded that we're, that God is very much with us, that God is very much restoring us and that Jesus has done something remarkable, amazing, wonderful words don't describe the life that is provided in that moment of realizing the tomb is empty and Jesus is resurrected. And then we, of course, hear uh, in the Easter vigil and then the subsequent Easter services, but I'll stop at the Easter vigil, Jesus appearing to a couple folks which again instills hope. So this light breaks forth into a big beam of light. The lights come up, sanctuaries lit, uh, and that's how the vigil. So the vigil actually is where we get our first, as Bryn alluded to earlier, our first dismissal. Mm -hmm. So up until this point, none of those services ended with a dismissal, which, which if you're not familiar with what I'm saying, every uh, service in the Episcopal Church usually ends with some form of a dismissal, particularly Eucharist. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. It's probably the most popular. And we say, thanks be to God. Could be, let us bless the Lord. Mm -hmm. and, and let's go forth in the name of Christ. So those are usually how we end our services, but not, not during the triduum. We move straight through all those actions until we get to the Easter vigil. And then, and then we're looking at the empty tomb. Our teacher, as Mary Magdalene will say, when she calls Jesus, when she realizes who he is in the garden, we too realize that God is very much with us and very much alive. And how appropriate is it for us to end the liturgy with a dismissal and a reminder to carry that message and to go serve and to take all those, all those different aspects of those liturgies we'd gotten to that point as a mark and a reminder of our spiritual journey and our discipleship. So, yeah. I think talking about these as parts of a spiritual journey is really important thing to emphasize that 
You know, I think this is true. And I think we've tried to make this point just in our conversation, in, in the fact that we're having these conversations about liturgy and discipleship, is that we observe these liturgies because they form us. When we participate in them, when we observe them, when we uh, read these prayers, when we remind ourselves through these uh, stories, that we are in a formation process, that this is part of our spiritual journey. And in fact, you know, our, um, when we, when we go through these motions from Monday, Thursday, where, um, where we wash each other's feet, it's called Monday, Thursday, because, um, uh, Mondi is from a Latin word, mandatum, which means man is like mandate or commandment. And the commandment is, um, that Jesus says, you know, you shall love one another as I have loved you, um, and tells us that we are, you know, essentially that we are here to to love and serve one another. Um, so we observe that by washing each other's feet, as Jesus did washing his disciples' feet. Um, we also get our first um, practice of of the Eucharist. Um, in that service. So that's just a, you know, that's a landmark service for, for Christians, because those are such important parts in our spiritual life. Um, and so, you know, we get to uh, recognize those in that, um, in that Monday, Thursday service. Um, and uh, when we strip the altar, you know, which is hard to do when you're doing an online service, <laughs> um, and there's no altar to strip, um, so this, you know, this looks a little bit different during COVID tide than it than it does in in the regular time. But at the end of that service, when we strip the altar, um, what we're doing is we're taking away all of the symbols of Jesus, um, all of the marks of Christ in our lives, and so we take away the crosses or we cover them up, um, even for the things that the that the clergy wear. Um, you know, we take off our stole. Um, we would, you know, take off other um, vestments that are worn that that remind us of Jesus. And we, you know, for that time, then um, we sort of get ready to imagine what life would be like without Christ. Um, what our lives would be like if there was um, if there was no living God, um, and you know, and that moves us into Good Friday, like what Justin was saying, that takes us to these really dark places of the human experience. Um, but no matter how dark our experience of living is, um, it would be much darker without the presence of Christ with us. And so we, you know, we, we go there and we imagine what that would be like. Um, and that, that, um, Holy Saturday service is just such a short service. There are a couple of readings that that can be done with it, and just a couple of prayers. Um, but they really are that that like, you know, that's where you're in the valley of the shadow of death. That you know, all you can do is is pray, um, and then we get to to the the. Um, Easter vigil service, which uh, I also think is just the most beautiful, wonderful service of the entire 
um, liturgy um, of all of our liturgies. I think it's just, a, you know, it's my favorite um, personally, and I love it. And one of my, um, one of the best experiences that I've had with this whole Paschal Triduum was when I was uh, an, an intern, a seminarian intern, um, and my field placement site was, uh, was a monastery in um, the Hudson Valley in New York. So it was Holy Cross Monastery. It's a Benedictine Episcopal monastery that's been around there for quite a long time. Um, and it was amazing to be part of a community where it was the same gathering of people. It was all of the monks and then the people who were in the guest house. Um, and that was probably about 20 people who were staying in the guest house at the time. Um, it was just remarkable to go through that entire service with a community of people that was the same group of people who who showed up. Um, you know, the Monday Thursday service uh, was amazing and also delicious because this monastery had uh, food, wonderful, wonderful food, and so there was like a a meal, which is which is common for this service um, to have, a, like sometimes it's called an agape meal um, or some kind of, um, you know, reenactment of the fact that Jesus instituted the, the Lord's Supper, um, the Eucharist at an actual meal. Um, and so, you know, so we had this beautiful meal. Um, and then, you know, after that service, it was silence. And it was silence in the monastery until the Easter vigil. Um, if, you know, you could speak when you were in prayer, um, in corporate prayer, but otherwise there was just silence in the monastery for that whole time. Um, and so then the Easter vigil service started at the ungodly hour of like five o'clock in the morning. Um, but what made it bearable and in fact wonderful was, you know, lighting this Paschal fire and, and having this, you know, chanting of the exultet, um, and then going through that entire service. It's a long service. If you do all of the readings, I don't know, Justin, if you've ever, you know, if you do all of the readings, but there's like seven readings that recount our, our whole sort of creation and salvation um, narrative um, with, you know, psalms and singing in between and everything. I think this whole service probably took two and a half or three hours. Um, and then at the end of it was the most amazing Easter brunch I've ever had in my entire life. Um, that was truly a feast for, for a king. Um, and it was just such a wonderful, holy experience to get to be with this community and celebrate that whole, that whole, the whole Paschal Triduum together. You really get to appreciate it as one service in that way. Yeah. And yes, I have done all the readings before. Now, not, not since I've been a rector of a church have we done that. And there's a lot of reasons that would just be distracting to this conversation. Uh, <laughs> but anybody can email me and I'll be happy to uh, talk to you privately about why that's trickier. Um, but the one thing you touched on in that is the, is the part that sometimes I'm afraid. And we've talked about this in other aspects of prayer book theology and spirituality. Is that it's communal. These liturgies are very much impactful for the individual, the person, their own unique relationship with God is informed in these liturgies. 
But equally as important as the community gathered is shaped and formed by praying together, being together, which I realized during COVID tide is not always easy. But yet we have to remember, even if we're gathering electronically or some in, I guess now we're at a stage where there probably are some in person and some online that we are together. And I think stretched out a little bit further is uh, take Monday Thursday, for example. The institution of the Last Supper, the servant ministry displayed in foot washing, is also a reminder to the church of our call to serve, our call to, it's not just about serving those inside our walls. It's not just about being, it's about taking this, this experience of Jesus and what Jesus calls us to out into the world that we're called to serve. And one might argue that the Christology of this is to serve the least of these, that that's where we actually will learn a great deal about God is when we go out and serve the least of these. And you go to Good Friday and you can make this similar comparison to the, as I, as I said, and as Bryn picked up on the darkest parts of our humanity, the darkest parts of the community gathered, the places where we don't look, the things we don't do, the things we consciously do that are harmful to one another. We call attention to that, you know, so there's, there is an individual, a very, you know, I always say that in Holy Week, there is a very, and especially the Trigen, there is an individual spiritual journey that happens as I think Bryn, hopefully you heard, as I heard very clearly is Bryn with community, but Bryn also going through at Holy Cross, the movements of the liturgy and what it, how it shaped her in that time and place. And that's true for all of us when we enter into these liturgies, but also for the community gathered and for the church. I mean, this is a a very important uh, liturgical moment that calls attention to our work and connects us deeply to our spirituality and our call, uh, our call of discipleship um, as as large groups. So I don't want to lose that when we talk about the Trigem. And I appreciated that thinking about the monks at Holy Cross and the visitors at the guest house and you there together and you get to that Easter brunch and you're like, it's the best brunch you ever had. And how appropriate that is to celebrate with such a feast. And yet in, in a weird way, we, we celebrate with that feast and then we know we're back to work. We're back to now, we're now bolting from the tomb, if you will. We're, we're running to, to tell the world Christ is risen. Let's, let's go, you know, here light has breaking broken forth um, in a very real way. Uh, transformative way. So I, I, that's one of the things that I think revs me up for Holy Week um, and the Triduum is that very movement that I see happen to folks who participate uh, in these liturgies as you see when they show up at the Easter Vigil or if they, if, they, if they show up on Easter Sunday, you see, you kind of see this, dare I say, Bryn, it's maybe inappropriate, but an aha moment like, oh, Oh, like this makes way more sense. Like this journey we've been on the last several days. Like, I mean, look at this very intense journey we've been on the last several days. And then you arrive at that Easter vigil and it just starts to culminate and bubble. And then you just feel, I mean, it's a very visceral feeling. I think it's very real. Um, the emotions that hit us uh, at the Easter vigil as we're hearing that salvation history and as we hear those Easter words uh, when the liturgy transitions, um, it's, it's, it's a very beautiful, powerful moment for so many and not something we should ever take for granted. 
if I may be so bold. Well, I think it's important to remember too that, you know, when we have these like back-to-back services, and I think this can be um, especially the experience of people who work in the church, um, you know, not just not just the clergy and other ministers of the church, not just like paid people, but, you know, like the altar guild and the choir and um, the greeters and the, you know, the vestry members who show up to unlock doors or all of that, you know, when, when, when the people um, who go through this whole process together, um, it's sort of, you know, by the time you get to the, the Easter vigil service, um, it's kind of like you're tired, you know, like it's exciting on Monday, Thursday, because that's such a neat service. Um, but then even as it stretches on into the stripping of the altar, then you're kind of looking at your watch and you're like, oh, it's late. I got to, you know, I got to get to bed. I got to go to work the next morning, that kind of thing. You know, then you take the time to do Good Friday service, which is just said, is traditionally a, a noonday service. Um, we do that if you, you know, a lot of churches don't do a Holy Saturday service. I'm sure there at St. Luke's on the Lake, you, you must do a, a Holy Saturday service, right? Of course. Obviously you do. Obviously. Obviously. Man, obviously. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, and after all of that, you're like, sheesh, I've been to church a lot, you know, and you, you, the temptation and it's not like a temptation. It's not like we want to think this, but by the time we get through all of those services, we might be kind of tired, you know, tired of like all of all that we've done, um, tired of having to show up at church again, tired of one more kind of thing and start seeing it just as an obligation. Um, and, you know, I think I think that's okay. You know, then maybe you show up to the Easter vigil service and you really actually need a resurrection. Like you really are needing new life and refreshment. And it's okay to it's okay to arrive depleted. Um I think the disciples, um I think Jesus's followers, his mother, his friends, um by the time they got to to you know that that first Easter morning, um, they were exhausted. I mean, they had been through the most incredible trial and the most devastating experience of any of their lives to have seen the Son of Man die on a cross and be put in a tomb um, had to have been the most exhausting experience possible. Um, and they needed that new life and that, that good news on that first Easter morning too. And so when we get to that point, when we get to that empty tomb, if we're like worn out by the time we get there, that's okay. That's totally appropriate. So, you know, I, I sort of encourage people to really fully participate as much as they can and as much as we are able to make available during this COVID time um, to really participate in all of those services, even if it feels like a stretch, even if it feels like a little bit too much, 
um, you know, do it for this period of time. This, this is a period of time that really is worth it to put in that kind of effort because it really recognizes our part, our individual um, experience in the death and the resurrection of Jesus and that we die and are born again through Jesus's death and resurrection. Very much so. Um, and that may be a good spot to kind of, I was about to try to pull something from Simon Sinek into this, but I think I'm going to leave that alone. Uh, which is, I, you know, I'll say this much. I'll say this much of what I was thinking, listening to you and how important this is that, yeah, sometimes we're busy and we have to give ourselves permission to say, oh, God, I got to go to work. I got to do this. Let me see if I can make this real simple. Um, Simon Sinek just wrote a book about leadership and business. And you're probably thinking, what's this got to do with the church? Called The Infinite Game. And when we think about finite minds and infinite minds, finite minds, we put ourselves in boxes. We, we get kind of self-absorbed and we get caught up in things in minutia. The infinite mind uh, of which we actually all have, according to Simon Sinek, we're all capable of, are those moments where we choose to stretch ourselves. Even when it's uncomfortable, we choose to enter into and realize that we're connected and that community and relationship and friendship and collegiality are so important and that we find life in those. So I would say that one of the things that happens by default at these liturgies, I believe, is that in a weird way, God leads us into the infinite, into the eternal, into the sacred and the veil, if you will. Now I'm, I'm stealing, I'm twisting Simon Sinek now into church life. Um, <laughs> You enter the infinite. I mean, you become somebody who realizes that there's life to be found in these liturgies and that it's actually going to inform your work. You may be tired when you go to work, but that's going to inform your your life the next day and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. Yeah. Uh, and you see possibility and you see hope and you start to, to see things coming together. Uh, and I, I think that's the, the most powerful aspect of the triduum is the transformative process that happens when we engage, even if we bring a whole bunch of baggage into the space, right? It doesn't, we still, there's still a transformation that happens. And that's who we are. You know, you are who you are in that moment. I don't know if that's philosophical or what. You are who you are at the moment you show up. You can't, mm -hmm. you can't change that moment uh, per se once you're already in it. You're there. It's happening. When you show up at St. Luke's or you show up at, uh, incarnation or you show up wherever you are where you are you are dealing with your own life stresses your your joys your sorrows it's all there welcome welcome to the triduum it's yep. exactly where you need to be so i i think some of what i love in simon sinek's work is is accepting that there aren't necessarily strengths and weaknesses it's where we are it's very circular you know it's where you are now and where are you going to be later, you know, and let's let the liturgy start to shape us and inform us and participate in that. And well, let's and see good, where we land. The good news in, in that and the good news of, of the cross and the good news of Easter is that God loves you. God loves you where you are. God loves you when you show up tired. God loves you when you show up mad. God loves you when you show up not knowing why you're there. Um, and also when you show up with joy. And, um, you know, that's, that's the God that we, that we celebrate 
um, in this Paschal Triduum is a God who was willing to go to hell and back um, in order to reveal God's love to us. And that's amazing. That's good news. So I will say then, on behalf of Brennan and I, enter into the sacred mystery of the Triduum. Enter into the sacred mystery this week. Join us, join at our churches or join wherever you are. Find a place, join those liturgies. We will see you in Eastertide. And when we get there, we have a little bit left in our journey through the prayer book. And we're going to dive into particular liturgies that are reflective of the Easter story, what we call Easter liturgies. Um, so we'll see you next week. Lit is a production of the Reverend Brent Bond and Justin Yon, Episcopal priests in Austin, Texas. Music is provided by Alitu. We encourage you and invite you to send your questions to us via the emails you'll find in the show notes below. We will ask, uh, answer them on air at a future date, and we so appreciate your listenership.